You are listening to Just Another Podcast. Contact us directly at Just Another Podcast Live at gmail.com. So, welcome to another episode of Just Another Podcast. I'm your boy, Daryl. And I'm your boy, Will. We're excited to be back with you guys for another week. Um, how's your week been going so far, Will? <laughs> you ever see that meme of the dog sitting in the burning house saying to himself everything's okay even though everything around him is burning i haven't but i can picture it yeah that's that's that that kind of sums up my week i feel you i feel you i've been i've been having a crazy week too man and it's i've been having an influx of just inquiries and just work real life work and it's a blessing, but it's it's been something else, man. It's so, so stressful. It is. And I think a lot of times people don't talk about, like, because we, we hint a lot at, like, the, the benefits and, you know, just the great things that can happen from working hard. But people don't really talk about how hard it is to be successful. You know what I'm saying? So... What what are your general thoughts about that and kind of your experience so far? Sure. So the funny thing about it is that we talked about this last night when we were on the phone. The problems that we're having are actually good problems. Like they're not bad problems. They're problems that most people would be excited to have. And so just to shed light on my situation. So as many of you already know, I am um, currently on the last leg of my uh, doctoral program. And so on Sunday, I received feedback from my chair. And usually how um, the process goes, for those of you who aren't familiar, is, you know, they send you general feedback, you fix it, you send it back, and, um, you know, you set your date, you defend, and so forth and so on. In this case, I love my chair. And he went in. And when I say he went in, he went in. But I'm very thankful for it, right? Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that not only do I um, deliver quality work, but in addition to that, I also deliver, um, you know, something that I'm going to be proud of. And so in addition to having about a week to uh, re-edit a 157-page document, have a full-time job, a newborn, and just have to traverse every other thing I got going on, it's a lot. But I think, Dale, to your question, you know, it's one of those things that um, have you ever heard the phrase that don't complain about having uh, too much on your plate when the goal was to eat? No, I haven't. That's pretty solid. Right. And so, like, in that same theory is like, you know, we we tell ourselves that we want X, Y and Z. We tell ourselves that, you know, we want all these different things. But, you know, it doesn't like a lot of times it doesn't really hit us until we're in the moment of it. Right. Um, you know, we've mentioned Eric Thomas a lot on this podcast. And one of my favorite phrases by him is, you know, everybody wants to be a beast until it comes to uh, doing what beasts do. Right. And so, yeah, man, it's like, that's life. And this is the, this is the life we signed up for. So I'm tired. I'm exhausted. As y'all can see, my hair looks crazy, but like, I'm enjoying it. Like I'm bashing in it because again, it's one of those situations that, you know, I prayed for this. Like I asked God to bless me with this level of stress per se. And so, 
Yeah, man. Just taking everything one day at a time. How about you? Man, so I actually heard a speaker and it was pretty good. And it's it's going to tie into some different topics later on. But he was talking about how you can't separate the fruit from the root. Mm. Right. And so the things that we are seeing in our lives are directly associated with the things that we've done. Right. Mm. And so the fruit or the harvest that you see in your life. So like our, our current issues of feeling overwhelmed and having a lot on our plate is directly linked to how hard we've been working. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way it goes both ways where if things may not be exactly what you want, there may be some things in your life that you've done to get you to that point. Mm. Right. And it, and it brings up this, that the general concept of accountability Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, being accountable is a huge thing as far as making sure I'm getting to where I want to get. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the media in general, there have been a lot of cases in the last week or so where people have been questioned about whether or not they should be accountable for certain things they've done. Mm. Right. So I got a couple a couple things written down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to start with probably one that's closer to to us than others um big big topics surrounding kurt franklin Mm. have you heard the story i've i've heard partial of it but i didn't actually see the video nor nor hear about it i I did see his apology though but um can you for myself and others that just haven't frankly heard it can you brief us on what happened yeah so he um he got in an argument with his first son Mm-hmm. So this son is an adult, 33 years old, I believe. Um, and it's kind of swayed because the they, the son didn't show the whole argument, but mm-hmm. kind of just posted a portion of the argument with him and his father fussing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people are upset because he did say some questionable things. Um, like, I know he was like, you're not going to disrespect me. I'll break your neck. Uh, <laughs> it was like... It's crazy because it sounds so wild, mm-hmm. but it, it at the same time, which might be a problem, it was just so normal. Yeah. It was just so normal. Like, if you disrespected your father, mm-hmm. this is what you would expect, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, I don't know their whole, the whole story really well, but I think it was a situation where the son had an expectation for him to do something for him. He basically tried to pressure him into doing something. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so they got into an argument. His son recorded it and posted it. Mm. Right. And then so there has been two schools of thought. One thinking, oh, he's a horrible person. He's supposed to be a man of God. And the other school of thought is. He's human and he mm-hmm. got everybody got crazy kids mm-hmm. and you at home cussing, too. Mm-hmm. So kind of what what is, what is your thoughts in general? So it's interesting because as you're telling me that story, it actually takes me back to a few episodes back. We talked about, you know, pastors and liking pictures on, on like Instagram. Right. And so I think it's it's not necessarily related to that, but it's one of those situations where we forget that our celebrities, the people we admire, they are regular people just like you and me. Like, I don't know about you, but I've been cussed out by my mama. I remember when I was a kid, I told my mama one time that, uh, like, I think I might have got in trouble in school. 
and she like raised her hand to whoop me. And I told her I was going to call the police on her. And she handed me the phone. She was like, call them. By the time they get here, they're going to have a real reason to arrest me. Right. And so, again, not saying that I condone that or saying that's okay, but it's like one of those situations that we don't know what the full context of the argument was. And I think the internet has a bad way of, and you know, when we talk about cancel culture, the internet has a bad way of just Xing people out without really hearing all sides of the story, right? Like in a courtroom, you know, you hear the plaintiff side, you hear the defendant side, and then the judge or the juror makes a decision. Whereas in the um, court of opinion, it's like you hear one story and everybody just got an opinion about something. So, I mean, from my perspective, like, again, I wasn't there. I don't know Kirk Franklin uh, personally. I love his music. I think he's a great artist and I think he's a man of God, but that doesn't divulge him from being a human being. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I talked about it briefly on our other podcast and I kind of used the analogy of the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about the hospital, if you didn't know anything else and you walked in the hospital, you would think that everybody here is sick, mm -hmm. right? And you would think there's something wrong with the hospital because everyone here is sick. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. The reason everybody at the hospital is sick is because that's where sick people go, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so if you think about using that same analogy with the church, the church is a place where broken people go, mm -hmm. right? And so, mm -hmm. so many times people in the church will judge people for being broken. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that they are there, right? If you, yeah. if you had it all together and your life was great, and you didn't need anything, you wouldn't be in church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the Bible says, he without sin cast the first stone, we all sin. Yeah. Um, and so, so many times, and I, and I get the concept of he's a leader, right? Mm -hmm. But like, even if you use the hospital example, doctors get sick too. Mm -hmm. You know, even though you're supposed to be the person to help people get well, you're supposed to be the one leading the charge to healing, you're not, you're not excluded from being capable of being sick. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, and so, so many times I think the church will just destroy people. And it's crazy because if the standard is perfection, it wouldn't be no leaders. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And so I just think is I do now, I'm not saying that I condone his choice of wording. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with his um, parenting strategies, mm -hmm. but I do say him making human mistakes shouldn't necessarily change people's perspective about who he is and what he does in the ministry. Mm -hmm. Because everybody passed it and cussed, whether you know it or not. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Everybody passed it and probably did a lot, whether you know it or not. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's just interesting. I think as we talk about accountability, I think he, at, at the end of the day, he's a man that needs mm -hmm. to be accountable. Mm -hmm. And so as far as from a man perspective, he needs to be accountable for his actions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He needs to think twice before. And, it, and it's sad because it's your son. You wouldn't think your son would try to destroy your career over an argument. Yeah. But I do think that he does have to take, he has to live with, you know, the impact of what he did, mm -hmm. right? But I just don't think it's people's place 
to try to judge him for what he did. I think that's a personal issue that he needs to deal with. I agree. And I think too, like, you know, off my first statement, like he's human too. Right. Like it, like, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is he without sin cast the first stone. So we really find if we really uh, finna sit here and judge this man, like, should we be judged for the negative actions that we've made? Right. Like, and it's, it's one of those situations where it's like, I get it. Like he had an argument with a son. He shouldn't have blown up by his son, but it's not like he was physically beating his son. It wasn't like he was, um, you know, like doing, like doing something harmful in a sense that like he couldn't come back from. Right. And again, not saying that I condone his actions, but I think it's one of those situations that we really have to take atonement for our lives right and you know we are and it's it's funny so um my my partner and i we've been uh doing counseling of late right and so one of the things that our therapist um um talks about a lot is like you know not only taking accountability for your actions but understanding how you and the other person feel in the moment of anguish right and i think you know we deal with so much on a daily basis, just as a society. And when it comes to our public figures, we look at we look at these people almost like gods, right? No, like they can't do anything wrong. They can't, excuse me, they can't um, have no faults. Whereas the same way you put your feet, your, uh, your pants on one foot at a time, that's the same way they put their uh, pants on. The same way you brush your teeth every morning, that's the same way they brush their teeth. They're just on a different, uh, they might just be on a different platform than you are. So I, I guess for me, my last statement on that is like, hey man, he without sin cast the first stone. That's real, that's real. Um, and just about, and just to keep the conversation going about, like we kind of talked about like what's the line, like where can the line be drawn? I don't know if you noticed, but racism has been having a blast the last few weeks. Mm. Um, so, so the first story that I want to talk about, did you hear the story about the announcer from Oklahoma? Mm -mm. Okay. So there, so the story is, and I'm going to pull up his, um, his kind of press release too, but the story is there's a basketball announcer he was announcing a high school basketball game. Mm -hmm. And during the national anthem, there were some players who decided to kneel, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so not knowing that his mic was hot, he made some racist statements um, about the players mm. and people heard it, mm. right? Um, and so it's been this huge thing. And so he released this press release and bro, you're not gonna believe what it said. Matter of fact, let me pull it up and I'll and I'll read it to you. Give me one second. Yo, Daryl, did I ever tell you about that one time while I was driving to work and I got pulled over by the police? Nah, you ain't talking about that, bro. Bruh, it was just like a regular day. I'm driving, not really paying attention. Take a left turn while I should have took a right, got pulled over. And you know what? At that very moment, I wish I had. What's that? A good attorney, bro. Hey, to be honest, if you are listening to this podcast. You know, we sponsored by Stowe Law Firm at stowlawfirmnc.com and they handle traffic violations, 
criminal defense, DWI defense, and post-convention relief. So if you ever in North Carolina and you need a lawyer, contact Ryan Stowe at StowLawFirmNC.com. Good to know. And we are back. So I have the press release pulled up. So as I kind of mentioned, um, the guy name was Matt Rowan. He had said something about effing N-words mm-hmm. during during this national anthem pause, mm-hmm. right? And so he released a press release. And this is this is the honest to God truth. <laughs> I'm reading this is his words. And it's for everybody out there, racism is is innovative, okay? He says, I Matt Rowan on Thursday, March the 11th, 2021, most regrettably made some statements that I cannot, that cannot be taken back. During the Norman High girls basketball game against Midwest City, I made inappropriate racist comments, believing that the microphone was off. However, let me state immediately this is no excuse for such comments and should never be that should have never been uttered. I am a family man. I am married. I have two children. And at one time I was a youth pastor. I continue to be a member of a Baptist church and I have not only embarrassed and disappointed myself, I have embarrassed and disappointed my family and my friends. And this is where it gets fun. He says, I will state that I suffer from type one diabetes. (laughs) And during the game, my sugar was spiking. While not excusing my remarks, it is not unusual when my sugar spikes that I become disoriented (laughs) and often say things that are not appropriate as well as harm as well as hurtful. So, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) diabetes causes racism. (laughs) Wow. And I know I will feel about diabetes too (laughs) and racism. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I knew you would enjoy this. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Can you read that last part again, please? He said, I will state that I suffer from type 1 diabetes, and during the game, my sugar was spiking. While not excusing my remarks, it is not unusual with my sugar spikes that I will become disoriented and often say things that are not appropriate as well as hurtful. You know what that reminds me of? Wait, the last thing that says, I do not believe that I would have made such horrible statements in absence of my sugar spiking. You know what that reminds me of? What's that? You ever seen one of the commercials about like one of those drugs that's like supposed to cure like something so simple, but it's like side effects might include death. It's like, so <laughs> diabetes might include racist remarks now? Bro, disrespecting diabetes, man. <laughs> it's crazy too, because diabetes, that's supposed to be the black man disease. <laughs> diabetes has turned on us and is now creating racist man oh that is is funny bro how do you blame your sugar being too like oh my god i can't it's crazy so like when he wrote that he thought that was a good idea bro it's a statement too it ain't like he slipped up and said it like he had to edit it he 
he released it like like somebody proofread this and thought this was a good idea, bro. I will say I'm up. I was a used to be a pastor. <laughs> but I got type one diabetes. I was about man. to say pastors also own slaves back in the day, so they don't make it that bro, much better. That's what I'm saying. If it, if it dropped too low, he might go buy some slaves. <laughs> yeah, bro. How how do you blame your behavior? Like your sugar too high, you racist. Ooh, you be Jesus. like, boy, if my sugar get too low, ain't no telling what I say about the gays. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I just don't know. This sugar is taking over me. This ain't who I am. <laughs> this, this is not who I am. Oh, <laughs> like, man. That is, I was mind blown, bro. When I heard that story, even as a pharmacist, and it's crazy because we laugh from crying because it's sad that, that like white people will find any reason my to cover races, like have you? It's diabetes. Type one diabetes. My sugar was too high. Like Lord have mercy. That's all it take. Get this man a soda, and he is a slave master. Like <laughs> I just don't understand how in the world he got there. And then have you heard about the story of Cheryl Underwood? Nah, what happened, bro? So there's been this big debacle so you know cheryl underwood is on this this talk show called the talk mm-hmm. um and it was her and sharon osborne okay and so basically sharon osborne is friends with this guy named piers morgan i know who piers morgan is okay so I know where this is going yeah, so apparently Piers Morgan made some questionable remarks about Meghan Markle mm-hmm. following her interview with Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of people said these remarks were racist, mm-hmm. right? They and were. So so Sharon Osbourne is full caramel in defense of her friend, mm. right? They get on the show... And she's talking with Cheryl Underwood and she just loses it. <laughs> she's like, I'm not racist. <laughs> I am the furthest thing. It's crazy because like they all have the same defense pattern. Like, Yo, it's I, like it's I like, cannot is, be racist. It's like this is just the, the general statement where white people say some problematic ass uh stuff. Bro, she literally said, How can I be racist about anything in my life? And tell and had the nerve to tell Cheryl Underwood, I want you to explain how he races and don't you dare cry while she was in the midst of her white tears. And so I feel like it is so what was Cheryl Underwood's response to this? Bro, surprisingly, her and the other two hosts, I don't really watch the show a lot, but they were surprisingly very calm. Wait, so Sharon Osborne told her. Explain to me this, and don't you dare cry while she was in the midst of crying. Bro, yes. Like, she went full victim mode. And not once did they call her racist or say that she was racist for supporting him, but they were just trying to articulate that by not standing against the things he said, that some people may feel some type of way about her support for him. 
You know what's interesting about that? Go ahead. And so, so today um, I'm doing edits for my um, my dissertation, and I am you know reading about the history of higher education in America. And so you know, back in the early 1800s, only men were allowed to pursue uh, post-secondary education, right? And only men from wealthy backgrounds. And then you had you know um, the less desirable or the people that they really didn't want in their schools, which were Jewish men. And then around the 1850s, you start seeing women, um, you know, starting women colleges. Um, and around 1940s, you start seeing women colleges being prevalent. But even though they were prevalent at that time, they were still doing the same discriminatory acts that the men colleges were doing back in the, 18, the early 1800s to black women, to black men and so forth and so on. And so for me, it's just, it's one of those situations that I really struggle with. I really struggle with. And, you know, I often have these conversations with white colleagues because, you know, when they try to explain to me or, you know, or even like just white classmates, when they try to explain to me why they're not racist. And I'm like, I never called you racist. I was just trying to argue, you know, understand your perspective but when people feel trapped in a corner they all like that is the ultimate card that they're really ready to pull out that yeah it is it's crazy and they will use anything man i don't know if you've seen that this was this was in the midst of the re-election well, the election and Donald mm -hmm. Trump trying to be elected. Mm -hmm. um, you had the Proud Boy situation. Mm -hmm. You had the riot. You had the riots and mm -hmm. all this stuff going on. There was a video that was released by a Trump supporter where he was showing his black son. Mm -hmm. Yep, I did. And it's like they will get they will pull deep sometimes, mm -hmm. like to show you. That like, and it's crazy because it's like one relationship doesn't define whether or not you can be racist. No. There were slave owners having sexual relationships with black women. Mm -hmm. You can like us and be racist. I was about to say, you can Thomas, enjoy. Thomas Jefferson is known as the father of the mixed race um, person in America. Right. And so it is interesting to see just the strategy in which they go about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because she really just shut down. She was mad, like, this is some BS. Like, it was an explosion. I encourage you guys, just go listen to it. And I think Cheryl Underwood did an amazing job keeping her composure, right? Um, and even that response showed the privilege. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. that Sharon had to respond however mm. she felt mm. like just a privilege to just say you know what this is some bs like i don't got time for it mm. and i think that's something people don't even see how how the privilege worked because had cheryl snapped mm -hmm. bro it would have destroyed her career so let's talk about privilege really quickly Right. And I think oftentimes white people don't necessarily understand that they have privilege because you live in that privilege. Right. Like if something's just and I'll give you a prime example, even as men, we have privilege. Right. And a couple years back, I remember having this conversation with one of my colleagues at school and she was like, you know, you can 
like um, you can leave the library at 2 a.m. in the morning and walk to your car and feel safe and don't feel anything of it, right? I am a six foot tall, 230 something pound black man. I'm not worried about anybody trying to run, run up on me. Whereas if I was a petite woman, that might be a different story. And I think too, like even in the field of higher education, when we talk about safe places or we talk about organizations like the Black Student Union or like um, the multicultural office and, you know, white students are often like, well, we don't get no special places. Uh, yeah, the entire university is yours. You, every, like, I can go through days and not see somebody else that looks like me. You would literally have to be in the midst of maybe a HBCU to not see somebody that looks like you on an, a daily, maybe hourly basis. But the moment you step off that campus, it is, it is plain as day. And so I, I don't know. I think privilege is just one of those situations that like, I, tr we try to explain to people, but again, if it's something that you've never directly been affected by, it's, it's hard for you to even realize that you have it. That is so true. That is so true. I remember a good example is I remember being in pharmacy school and there was this discussion of, you know, how we looked as all the black students hanging out with each other. Mm. Right. Mm. But it's just the fact that us hanging together was so easily identifiable because mm. we're such a small portion of the class like mm -hmm. but if you looked around the indian students was hanging with the indian students the asian students was with the asian students and the white students were all with the white students but we just stuck out like a birthmark mm -hmm. right and it's just so interesting because so my class we probably had maybe i don't know 130 people maybe mm -hmm. that were in our class Imagine if a white person walked in a room of 130 people and 120 of them were black. <laughs> terror to walk right out. The terror. <laughs> and I don't think they get that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, that is the reality that we face every day. Like, if a white person walked in a room where they were the only person that was white, Mm -hmm. They would instantly have fear. They would instantly feel uncomfortable, out of place. And that is our daily norm. Daryl, you and I both have attended institutions that were built by slaves, right? UNC Chapel Hill is known as one of the first schools that was actually built by slaves. And so is the University of Pennsylvania, right? Still great institutions. And, you know, I'm so happy that I'm getting a degree from it, as I'm sure you, you're glad you got your degrees from there. But our white counterparts will never know what that feeling feels like. They will never understand that I am, like, think about the fact that it is the year 2021, right? And we're still talking about first. Again, let me say that one more time. It's the year 2021, the 21st century. And we're still talking about first within the black community. And it don't take a lot. It don't take a lot to be the first black person to do like, honestly, 
I don't see myself not being the first black person to do something because there's so many opportunities. Like there's so many doors and so many rooms that we haven't been invited into. Mm -hmm. It, It is ridiculous. And that's even in our own communities. Yeah. Like, it's not just like, oh, you're in white dominated spaces. There Mm -hmm. are majority black cities that are still experiencing these first in politics and all areas and professions. And it's it's crazy to see, right? Because I know Mm -hmm. going to an HBCU, you learn so much about the culture and you learn so much about opportunities. But, you know, it still is a shock when mm-hmm. you get to the real world, especially the higher you go, you realize it, it looks nothing like that. You know what that makes me think of? And it's something that you mentioned earlier, just about like just how black people often view from a deficit perspective, right? If you go to a city and you see a community of Asian, mostly Chinese people, what would you call that area? Chinatown. If you go to areas, see mostly um, Indian people, what would you call that area? I don't know what they call a spot. But, all right. <clears throat> now, if you go to a place and see mostly black people, what would you call that? The ghetto. Or? The hood. Or the projects. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's unfortunate. It is. It really, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And so it's crazy because it brings up that debate, right? Because there are some people, and I know this might be controversial. Listen, this is what we're here for. There are some people who believe that integration was the worst thing that happened to the black community. Mm. What What are your thoughts on that statement? Mm. To be completely honest, I partially agree. But at the same time, I disagree. And so I explain myself. I partially agree because looking from a historical perspective, prior to the ninth, um, all right, so let's 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 look at this from an educational perspective, right? Prior to 1964, when you had the uh, legislation of the Brown v. Uh, board decision by the Supreme Court to uh, de- um, to desegregate schools, most black people went to black colleges, right? And most, and the majority of white people went to white colleges. Granted, you still had um, black people that went to white colleges as well, but the majority of the black knowledge was within that those black communities, right? And so, in those days, university like Fisk, thriving, Morehouse, Howard, Hampton, um, uh, NC Central back then, um, the the normal school in Durham, like these institutions were thriving. We always have this conversation about black athletes going back to HBCUs, right? Prior to desegregation, that's where that's the only place they could go, right? Think about people like God, I always forget his name, but he was a graduate of North Carolina Central University and won 10 championships with Bill Russell for the uh for the Boston uh Celtics, right? So somebody like that, or um Deion Sanders is a graduate of a HBCU, um, hailed as one of the best um wide receivers of all time, right? And so it's one of those situations that I, I, I agree because it's like, I see the opportunity there and I see what could have been, but at the same time, look at the same allocations for resources that we had back then, right? Like institutions that are hailed like the, the, the epitome 
of greatness. When I when you think of higher education in America, what 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 is the first school you think of? Harvard. Harvard was founded when in 17, I want to say 1765. I might be wrong, but it was in the 1700s, right? And then after that, you had, um, so the first three colleges in America were Harvard, Yale, and the College of William and Mary. After that, you started having, um, UNC Chapel Hill was the first public <clears throat> uh, institution established in the country, the University of Michigan, and so forth and so on. But you had schools like Cheney, you had schools like Lincoln, you had schools like Howard that were all still established in the 1800s, but they are nowhere on the same pedigree as um, your Harvards, your Michigans, your Penns, your Princetons, your uh, USC Chapel Hills, right? And so from that perspective, I I disagree. I That's where like the convergence comes for me because it's like, we both went to an HBCU and we both went to predominantly white elite institutions. There are a lot of aspects of my HBCU um, experience that I cherish every single day. But even with that being said, like as much as as much issues as I might have with the University of Pennsylvania, I would do it all over again. You of all people know how I prayed, prayed to get into this institution. And so for me, that's where that like it's that <clears throat> is that double edged sword, because it's like, yeah, I clearly have some issues with the institution. But if I had to do it all over again, I would do it all over again. I don't know if that clearly answered your questions, but I mean, your question, but that's that, that, that's my thought process on it. Yeah. And I think it's really I think because you got to I think it's a debate of mentality. Mm hmm. Right. Whereas back in the day, and it, you hear a lot of talk about this when it comes to business as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that when we were together, we had no option. Mm. And so you were able to build, you hear stories about like Black Wall Street in Durham or Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. and where Black businesses built these great empires. And I think like there was there was a, a big insurance company in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I think that was started. You just hear all this stuff or North Carolina Mutual or some, mm -hmm. some, insu mm -hmm. some insurance company. Started by James E. Shepard. Yeah. So you hear those great stories, mm -hmm. but when we kind of really got integrated, we lost. And I don't know that we ever had it. And so that's the thing. We don't necessarily as a community feel that it is a priority to support our own businesses right and so i don't know if that is something that we lost or something that we never had because when we had to buy but buy black years ago that was mm -hmm. the only choice we had that mm -hmm. black grocery store on the corner was the only one that would let you in mm -hmm. and so i think it is a little discouraging now that we have the freedom of choice we oftentimes don't choose to patronize businesses of people who look like us. Mm. So there's this, there's this, um, there's this new show on Netflix called um, Amendment, and it's about the 14th Amendment, and it's written and it's narrated by Will Smith, and <clears throat> uh, Maharshala Ali plays the character of, of Frederick Douglass um, in this like uh, like docu series, right? And he talks about when Frederick Douglass escaped from slavery and came up to New York. 
when he came up to New York, he met um, somebody that he knew as a slave, right? Mind you, at this time, Frederick Douglass was, was still considered a runaway slave, right? And he he's talking to the guy. The guy tells him that you don't know. He was like, you need to change your name. You don't know me. I don't know you. I can't trust you and you can't trust me, right? Because what, what was going on at that time? At that time, you had slave catchers that were going into the northern parts and bringing back uh, runaway slaves. You had slaves that would sell out fellow slaves um, either for money or either as a way to protect themselves. And so I think a lot of those um, ideologies still travel today, right? I remember, you know, growing up, you know, as a uh, being ignorant as a kid, we would make fun of people within the Hispanic community, right? Like, oh, look at the Mexicans. It's about 20 of them living in the house not realizing that, or look at those um, Indians, not Native Americans, but Indians from uh, the country India, they come here and they like, it'll be six or seven of them working at a 7-Eleven or a quicker trip. Not realizing that, you know, they're living together to bring their resources together to then build wealth within their communities. They're coming here, oh, my brother owns a 7-Eleven, or my cousin owns a 7-Eleven, let me work there, let me learn the business and then build the business. What about us? Like, I'm sure you've seen the memes about the stimulus check coming out. People talking about some, oh, I'm gonna go to Red Lobster, let me get the whale, or I'm gonna um, go to PetSmart, hey, y'all sell lines here? Like, yeah, it's all fun and games, but it's like, this is money that a lot of us, like, yes, a lot of people needed, but you weren't necessarily expecting. Right. Like this ain't like this is not money that you fundamentally work for. And so, and you know, you always get on me about this, but it's like, yo, use that money to invest in your future. Use that money to invest in your child's future. So talking about that, uh, last week, Ashton's um, Social Security card came in. You know what the first thing I did? I opened Open a five investment account. Yep. Opened up a 529 um, educational account for him and also opened up a UGMA, UTMA account for him. Right. Could you explain for the audience what those accounts are? Sure. I'm glad you asked. So a 529 plan is a um, college account that you as a parent or a guardian can create for your child. And it's managed through whatever state you're in or whatever brokerage firm you work through, whatever state they work with. So for me, I um, <clears throat> the brokerage firm I work with is TD Ameritrade. So the um, 529 is through the state of Nebraska. But what it does is as you add money in there, there's a specific amount of money that you can add in there per year. It, it adds up and you can use it toward any type of education for your child, right? We're talking about preschool, vocational school, trade school, but it was mainly designed for college, right? So like that's, that's what I'm um, saving up for. So by the time Ashton is ready to go to college, Ashton and I are not scrambling around saying, yo, how are we going to pay for college? You and I both have immense college uh, student loan debt. And we've talked about the fact that we never want our children to have that, right? And so- that's one avenue, right? So his college is his his college is by the time he's 18 is already taken care of. A UGMA UTMA account. How many times you don't been to a kid's birthday party and they bring kids these toys that they're gonna play with for two seconds, throw by the wayside, or they buying clothes and shoes for these uh for these kids that they're probably gonna wear one or two times and it's gonna be too small for them. Where instead you can take that money, 
put in a UGMA, UTMA account, an account that you as a parent, as an uncle, as literally anybody can use that account to be a beneficiary for a child. So my idea is like, all right, so Ashton's already going to, um, you know, by the grace of God, and hopefully the Lord keeps blessing us, his needs are going to be taken care of. But instead of Uncle Daryl sending him $100, a $100 pair of Jordans, I'm like, no, send me that hundred dollars to put toward his UGMA account and invest that money. So by the time he graduates from college, in addition to the fact that he just graduated debt free, I can hand him a check or turn the account over to him. And now he has $150,000, $200,000 to start a business, to buy a home, to, um, you know, to invest opportunities that we never had. Think about if on your uh, on whenever date you graduate from college, your mom um, said, you know what? Uh, don't worry about your uh, your student loan payments. They're taken care of. In addition to that, here go uh, uh, some keys to a house that I bought for you a couple years back. In addition to that, here go $250,000. Um, start a business or, or start some or invest in something that you're passionate about. Think about where you would be today. Right. And that and the crazy thing, I know some people listening may think that's outrageous, but that is normal for so many people. Mm-hmm. That is normal for so many. Like, it's crazy. Like, me and you, Will, we do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But just the pure level of success we've had to reach to even have the opportunities to do the stuff that we're doing, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. When there are people who graduate high school who who are buying real estate, mm-hmm. like there are people like it's crazy that it's taken us 10 years to learn some of this stuff. And I think that's why it's so important for us to have a platform and they say, OK, we've met so many people. How can we at least share some of the stuff that we've learned? Mm-hmm. Cause I know there's probably a lot of people I've never heard of a 529 plan account. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that somebody is listening to this and you know, maybe, maybe you pregnant or your significant other is pregnant and you're thinking, well, let me look into that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause, cause those are seeds, man, that can turn into such a huge thing right go ahead my apologies i'm good and you know what the beauty about it is too when we when when i say something like oh i want to hand them a check for two hundred thousand dollars your mind already goes to like what the hell am i gonna get two hundred thousand dollars for literally if you open up one of these accounts and start off with a hundred dollars you know you might get your car fixed. It was supposed to cost $75, but it only cost $50. Now you got an additional $25. Throw it in there. You were supposed to get your hair done and um, you thought it was going to cost $150, but it only ended up costing you $100. Take that $50 and throw it in there. Like you can make simple investments. You can invest in ETFs. You can invest in stocks and we can go into detail with that on a later episode. But all that is compounding over a long, we're talking about like 18 years, right? And in many cases, 20 years, 20 plus years. So like that little, little $25 here, $5 here, $10 here, a hundred dollars here. Hell, you might get a tax return. You get 5,000, throw $1,500 in there here. All that compounds. And now you're creating wealth for your children. 
Like, Dale, I don't remember if you remember this conversation you and I had a, a while back, but we were just talking about gener generational wealth and creating generational wealth. And in the Black community, when somebody dies, what is the first thing you see? A celebration. Not even a celebration, but before we even get to a celebration, what is the first thing that's posted in order to raise funds to throw a funeral for that person? You mean like a, like a GoFundMe or something exactly. like that? You see what I'm saying? Like another avenue that you can do in regards to taking care of your family is getting life insurance specifically when you're young right and most people think about it in the essence like oh why am i getting life insurance that ain't gonna benefit me that ain't like bro when i tell you there are so many people that have immense wealth now because their parents might have took out a policy on themselves their parents might have took out a policy on a friend their their parents might have took out a policy on somebody they knew and now like we're all gonna die like that's just a fact of life and I don't want, I don't mean to sound morbid by it. I don't mean to sound um, terrible by it, but we are all going to die at some point in time. And the question that it's important to ask ourselves is when I do end up me, my maker, you know, passing on to the next life, what am I leaving the people that I'm leaving behind? Am I leaving them dead or am I leaving them wealth? And yeah. again, these are all simple measures that you can take to, it might not benefit you in your life, but it could it, it it could benefit generations to come. Yeah, and it's crazy because I was actually having a similar conversation um, with, with with my ther with our premarital sessions, and he was just talking about in general culturally how different we we treat even death and how we celebrate somebody's life, mm -hmm. and it's crazy because I was listening. I want to say it was Bernie Mac on mm -hmm. Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. And this, you know, he jokes and he makes a lot of serious stuff funny, but he talks how like people in the white community, you die today, they're gonna have your funeral tomorrow and they and they gonna move on, mm -hmm. right? Versus black people might celebrate, we might hold it out for two weeks. <laughs> it might be a wake, it might be a funeral, a burial, it's five days of events. We mm -hmm. spending all these thousands of dollars where people in other communities are really taking the loss as a game, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so even just the thought, and a lot of people don't want to talk about death, but even things like getting your own life insurance policy on your parents, yep, right? Outside of their own policy, mm -hmm. if, you know, if things go normal, they're more likely to go before you. Why not? use that as an opportunity to bless your family, exactly. right? Like it doesn't, it's not wishing harm on anyone. It's not expecting the worst, but financially, there's mm -hmm. there are people who are playing this game so much differently than us. Bruh. Life, and the thing about life insurance too, people view life insurance as, oh, it can't benefit me. There are some plans, specifically whole term life insurance that you can actually borrow money against. So if you have a million dollar policy, you can take out X amount of money. Like the life insurance policy that Asher and I have, if I found out that God forbid I got leukemia or stage four cancer and I'm gonna die in six months, I can go there and be like, listen, let me get 150 grand of that uh, of that um, policy. And me and her can go on a exotic trip and I can go enjoy my last days 
on this earth right and so and like even there are people that take out um you know loans out of their life insurance policies to buy real estate there are people that take it out to start businesses like it's literally not only a functionality of building wealth for the next generation excuse me but you can use it as a opportunity to build wealth for yourself yeah that's good stuff that's good stuff so definitely as you guys are listening look into some of these things right um and i know for me just losing my my two grandfathers in the past year or so these are conversations that we need to have right Mm -hmm. like if you're if you're married i know for a lot of us young people who are married life is unexpected like you need to have these conversations. Do we have life insurance? Is my life insurance tied to my job? So if I lose my job, I don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Does your parents have life insurance? Mm-hmm. Right? Because if they pass away, guess who's going to have to pay? Right? And so don't think about it as you trying to make money. This is an investment. Like yeah. it really is saving yourself, yeah. you know, because it's one thing and God forbid anything happens to anyone, but to spend 10 to $20,000 to put somebody in the ground is not a good investment. No, it's not. Like if you're spending your cash, that's taken away from things that you could be doing in your family, moving forward investments, Mm -hmm. you could be making that's taking money out of your home. Mm -hmm. So sometimes even though it's uncomfortable and I would actually say it's better to have the conversation while your parents aren't sick. Exactly. Like that is the best time. Like, hey, everything is going great. I want to know, do you have life insurance? Mm-hmm. Where is the and, policy? And Who if you, you don't, can I to? take a policy out on you? And if you do, I still might. Yep. Like my dad told me straight up and I thought it was like a year or two ago. He was like, yeah, if you want to take a policy out on me, go ahead. And you know, I'm I'm fresh out of college. I'm like, you tripping. What you talking about? But like, why not? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If he has to leave this world anyway. And, and it sounds hard. It does. If you if you haven't really thought about death or dealt with death in your family, mm-hmm. it can sound it can sound bad, but it it is it's just a smart thing to do financially. So as a, as a new father, right. And as somebody that's not coming to this role as somebody's dad, of course, I want to live till I'm 200 years old, but what's up, Sebastian? (laughs) But if God forbid the Lord decides that my time is the next five, 10, 15 years, I can go knowing that my child is going to be taken care of for the remainder of his life. I can go knowing that my wife is going to be taken care of for the remainder of her life. Not saying that she needs me in order to be taken care of, but just having that, uh, that safety net there that she, that she doesn't have to worry about, you know, like how's the bills going to get paid? Is the house paid off? how can we keep the lights on right and again like it's only in our communities that we we view this as a negative other communities the white community the asian community the indian community even some of some hispanic communities 
have been using this as a way to build wealth for generations, y'all. For generations. You going to a nine to five is not going to make you wealthy. I don't care how much you make. You going to a job that they're paying you a salary is not going to make you and your family wealthy. And again, you know, sometimes in this conversation, people take how we talk about wealth in a, um, in a, in a negative way, but I've never met somebody that was like, damn, you know, I got too much money. I need to lose some of this. Or, you know, my family's doing too well. We just need, we just need some hardships. Like these are real issues that we deal with on a regular daily basis. And it's so ex exceptionally imperative that we make sure that we're putting forth the effort, not only to make sure we're fine, but making sure that our, our family is okay. Yeah, that's real. And I, I think, I think God, I think God wants us to be prosperous. Yeah. Right. And it's like, we just have to get ourselves conditioned that being wealthy is okay. Mm -hmm. And for those who are very picky about our word choice, having money is okay. Yeah. You can have money and be a good person. Mm -hmm. You can have money and love what you do. Mm -hmm. You can have money and love your family. We have to condition ourselves that we're worth it. It's like we almost have like a low self-esteem as a race. You know what I'm saying? Like we just that ugly duckling that's mm -hmm. just like, I don't even know if I deserve to be in the room. And it's like, we definitely have to take a stance where we're willing to fight for everything in this life that God has for us. Yeah. Like I want all mine. Mm -hmm. I, ain't, I ain't trying to leave. I ain't trying to leave this earth without my portion. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to make the biggest impact I have. And it's crazy because the speaker that I was listening to earlier, he, he kind of talked about the concept, especially in the Christian community, that there are some people who say, I want just enough to take care of my family. Mm. And he almost, and he said that that, that thought process is almost selfish mm -hmm. because your purpose on this earth, especially in God's kingdom Mm -hmm. is to glorify God mm -hmm. and you can do so much more for the kingdom, not being broke. Exactly. Right. And so even just the ability to be generous, to be generous with someone, like you might be in a grocery store and there's a mother who can't pay for her food. And she's, she's thinking about what to take off and put back. And you may be in a place in your life where you can help her. Mm -hmm. because of the God that you serve and the influence and she can see the love in your life, mm -hmm. you may change her life forever. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're just making just enough, it prevents you from really being able to impact and use your resources to change the community around you. Definitely. You know what that made me just think of? What's that? A couple um, weeks back, matter of fact, I think it might've been a month or some change back. Jeff uh, Bezos, ex-wife, um, I forget her name. But she is now ranked as the largest giver to the HBCU community in history. She gave over $4.1 billion, I believe, to 15 different HBCUs. And we not just, and again, I said, I didn't say 4.1 million. I said 4.1 billion. 
So we're talking about large gifts to these institutions, right? Like we were just talking about like investment within the black community and, you know, investing in our, like this lady, she is worth what, $64 billion. She ain't had to give us none of that money. She has no ties to HBCU. She didn't attend one. She ain't got a black son somewhere that went to Howard. She ain't got a black daughter that pledged AKA. Like she pledged and gave four point one billion dollars to institutions that she had no type of connection outside of the fact that she just wanted to see them do well this lady didn't ask them oh i want you to build a building after me i want you to endow a scholarship after me she was like here's the money taken and use it for what you need you, you need to do for it so you mean to tell me that's evil right right and that's the thing. I think a lot of people like me and Will have so many good things we want to do on this earth, right? But we got to get the money first. And so it might seem like we talk about money a lot, but to make the impact, like you will hear us constantly say over and over, we want to do things that have never been seen. Mm -hmm. We realize that it does take financial backing to change the world. It does. And so no matter how big your heart is, no matter how much you love your family, it, the world that we live in, it takes money to move things. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just encourage you guys to really, to really ask yourself. And cause I know there are a lot of people in a lot of different situations mm -hmm. who may be okay with where they are. Yeah. Right. And if that's who you are, I'm not talking to you. But for the people who are really saying, you know what? I don't think I'm the best version of who I am, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I want you guys to think about what we talked about at the beginning is you can't separate the fruit from the root, right? Mm -hmm. And so ask yourself, what is rooted deep down in me that is causing the fruit that I'm seeing in my life? Mm -hmm. And is there anything that I can do every day that may can change my potential outcome. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, and, and that step for you may be to take two steps. It may be to go 10 miles or a million miles, mm -hmm. but I think making sure that you're working towards progression is, is big, right? Cause it's about, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I definitely encourage people. If you are one of those people who say, you know what, God, there is more that you put in me. I think you should pursue it. I agree. So with that, we're going to wrap up for today. This has been a great episode. I um, hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Make sure you check it out um, on all social media platforms. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a comment, give us a review, and we'll be grateful. Um, but until next time, we hope you remember this is definitely more than just another podcast. Peace. Peace. This podcast was brought to you by Optical Illusions Photography and Media. Let us capture your best moments in the perfect way.